Welcome to the shit show of my 20s. My name's Sophia. I'm in my early 20s and man has it been full of shit shows. <laughs> it's been great. It's been career changes, industry changes, pivots, highs, lows, crying, happy, everything in between and it's been great and I just really wanted to create the show to hopefully share with you guys that we all go through the craziness of our 20s. We all go through these shit show moments and we all grow through them. And I hope that you're able to see yourself in some of these stories. And if any of these episodes resonate with you, I would love for you to share it with a friend as well as leave me a review on iTunes. It really helps. And if you want to connect with me, my Instagram's the shit show in my 20s. And yeah, without further ado, let's get going. Today's guest is Elizabeth. I love chatting with her. Elizabeth is a licensed practicing psychologist with a MS in physical therapy and a PhD in psychology who combines research findings, real life stories, and humor to provide actionable tips that individuals can benefit from immediately. Considered Shaquille O'Neal's head coach for happiness, Elizabeth is on a mission to free people from the stress of perfectionism caused by their own inner critic. She's considered the country's most widely interviewed celebrity psychologist with hundreds of radio and TV appearances on shows like Dr. Oz, The Today Show, Steve Harvey, CNN, Fox Business News, and others. And she's been quoted in media outlets, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Money Magazine, Women's Health, Forbes, and Cosmopolitan. Her own articles can frequently be found in Success, Fast Company, Entrepreneur, Better Homes, and Gardens. Dr. Elizabeth has the best tips in her new book, Get Out of the Red Zone. It is a book you need to help and guide you to de-stress and focus on the things that will truly make you successful. In this interview, we go into so many incredible things from her book and what inspired her to write it and what is the red zone? How do we know if we're in the red zone and what to do to get out of it? as well as how she became Shaquille O'Neal's head coach for happiness, when it is a good time to see a psychologist, and so much more. So excited for you guys to hear this episode. Let's get started. So thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you. So I'd love to start. Tell me about your 20s. Feel free <laughs> to include any shit show moments we might resonate with. Let's start there. I got, I got, it was a long time ago for me. So let, let me think about this. Starting with my 20s. Let's see. So when I was um, in my 20s, I went from college to grad school and I was a practicing physical therapist. So I got my degree in physical therapy. Awesome job. Loved working with people, getting them out of pain working with people with sports injuries to get them playing again. And I had a particular event that changed my life forever. I thought I was going to be a PT until I couldn't walk anymore. And yet I worked, was working with a client who he was an amputee, a surgical amputee because of diabetic complications, unfortunately not uncommon to uh, be working with someone like that as a PT. And he came down to the physical therapy gym and he was just 
depressed. He, he, he was sunk in, you know, over in his chair. He didn't want to have anything to do with me. He's yelling at me to, to send him back to his room. And so I did. And later on, we had rounds, right? With the doctors and the nurses and the therapists. We all talk about each client. And we all agreed that this gentleman who we'll call David was depressed. That made sense. What didn't make sense to me was the next statement, which came out of the surgeon's mouth. The guy who cut off David's leg the day before said, I'll prescribe him Prozac. And I thought, well, you know, there's certainly a time and place for medication. Absolutely. But it seemed to me that he probably needed to talk to someone to process this loss and this new life that he was going to have in front of him. And it was truly like the, like the heavens opened up and said, Elizabeth, this is your calling to be a psychologist. And so even though I thought my life was going this way, it suddenly turned and went this way. And I went back to school thinking, oh, couple of years of school won't be bad. Of course, it's it's more than a couple of years of school. So about eight years later, I got my PhD in clinical psychology and have been having lots of fun with that degree ever since. So and I think it's a great example of how we think we're going one way. And even if we're happy going one way, keeping your, your, your mind open and your options open to say, maybe there's something even better. Not that I'm not enjoying what I, I have here now, but just keeping our minds open. Yeah. Wow. And do you think if that event didn't happen, do you think you still would have got into psychology or you think that was kind of the turning point for you? I don't know. I mean, I think that there are different signs, indicators uh, that kind of push us along the way. So if I hadn't, if I hadn't heard that one, I might've heard another, you know, there's so much psychology. Well, I was going to say there's so much psychology and physical rehabilitation. What I thought I was going to do was to go back into PT and help people deal with their physical issues. But what I have, and, and I did that for, for part of it. I do sports psychology and work on peak performance. But what I came to realize is everything is psychology, sales, business, entrepreneurs, any kind of performance, which includes being a lawyer or an actor or a, an athlete. Um, psychology is everywhere. And I I remember my first, let's see, was I, I was still in my 20s, so I can tell the story. No, I was, it was my first year of, my first week of psychology school. And I was madly taking notes because we actually took notes back then. And I remember thinking, why do I have to get a PhD to learn this? Like we all would, we all would benefit from understanding how our mind works on a basic level and how to make it work for instead of against us. Because I would contend that the majority of the issues that we struggle with and problems that we have and difficulties that we encounter start up here, what we're saying to ourselves. And so if we can optimize our mindset, that doesn't mean think delusional, I'm perfect and there's no problems. But if we can optimize what goes on up here in our minds, then everything else in our lives can, can improve. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. What's something you wish people would know about psychology? <laughs> I wish people would know that not all psychologists put you on the couch and talk about your childhood ad nauseum. I always say to clients before I start with them, I'm like, first of all, I don't have facial hair. And second of all, we are not going to spend a lot of time on your childhood. Might we touch on it? Perhaps. But I'm very here and now and moving forward. And the way that I practice, so I'm a master certified coach and, and, a, and a psychologist. The way that I practice and the way that I view what I do is really, I view myself as a teacher, right? Because in school, when do we ever have the course on emotional intelligence or emotional resilience, controlling our stress, you know, thinking in ways that are accurate and helpful. We we never have that class. And yet if we did, I would tell you, and I, I don't know, but I would be willing to bet my life on this. That's how strongly I feel. If we did have that class throughout our education, depression rates, anxiety rates, suicide rates, substance abuse rates, self-injuring rates, all of those would plummet. 
because a lot of times the reason why people do that is because they don't have the skills to know how to cope. And it's not because there's anything wrong with them. They just don't have the skills. And so what I view it of what I do is I provide people the skills of how to deal with life, whatever it is. And usually people come because they're, you know, they're addressing a certain issue, but the beauty is it's like learning how to read, right? Once you learn how to read in a certain language, you can read a lot of books, right? And, and you can do that on your own. And so I always say my goal is, is to help my clients become their own coaches so that they have these skills and they internalize them. So whatever life throws at us and life throws stuff at us, right? <laughs> That's the shit show, right? Life throws stuff at us, but we can, we can better cope with it. We can better handle it and we can better move on when we have these skills. Yeah. And for like people who are like resistant towards getting help, maybe they're like, oh no, I'll figure it out on my own or I have to figure it out on my own. Like what sort, what are the kind of signs that like, it's time, like it's time to go to a psychologist. It's really time to stop like trying to figure it out on our own. So, I mean, I always say, if you think you might benefit from working with someone, you probably would. Could you figure it out on your own? Perhaps. But I mean, I don't know if you, I don't know if you go to a restaurant and you have the most delicious meal, whatever it is. And you think, oh my gosh, my life would be a thousand times better if I could eat this on a regular basis. And the restaurant closed, you could try to figure out what that recipe was and, and, you know, try this and try that and try to figure it out. Or you could Google it, right? And get the recipe and use the recipe. Like, could you figure it out? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But why, why subject yourself to that? It takes more courage. It takes more strength to get help than to not get help. You know, and I think people need to change their, their mindset on that thinking it's weakness to get help. It takes a lot of courage to do that. And so if you are thinking, "Mm, maybe I need some help, you probably would benefit from help. Now, the red flags are the real signs that we talk about are, are things like not being able to function in the way that you want to. So if at work, you can't focus, you can't concentrate because what's going on up here is so overwhelming, that's an indicator to get help. If it's impacting your health. So sleeping too much, sleeping too little, eating a lot or not eating enough. You know, our, our bodies and our minds are so interconnected that a lot of times our bodies will let us know, oh, when it's time to get help. And by that, I mean, 90% of all illness is caused by or exacerbated by stress. So when you notice yourself having these, you know, like I, I have a daughter and she's, she keeps getting cold. I wonder why she's so stressed out about school, right? Like her body's telling her you need to address the stress. So listening to our bodies and if it's, if it's communicating with us, that's an indicator. The other thing is if you're really relationships are really strange because of what's going on with you or someone else says it's strange because of what's going on with you. Cause sometimes when we're in our own, I'm sure we'll talk about the red zone, but when we're in this really high level of stress, we blame other people. It's not me. It's you. But if you're getting that feedback from others, maybe an indicator to, to get some help. Mm. And I'm curious, what is the red zone? Ah, so that's, that's my newest book. Get out of the red zone. Transform your stress to optimize true success. So the red zone, when I talk about it, it's not the football red zone. You know, football red zone, you want to get into it. The psychological red zone, you want to get out of. And the red zone is when we experience high levels of stress or in psychology, we call it distress. Distress is any negative emotion you don't want. Anger, 
frustration, anxiety, guilt, shame, worry, panic, overwhelm, all of that goes in the distress pile. And distress exists on a continuum, right? From zero and none at all to 10 out of 10, the most stressed you've ever been or distressed you've ever been. So if someone's angry at a 10 out of 10, they might be yelling or throwing something or the proverbial steam coming out of their ears. And the red zone happens when we're at a seven out of 10 or higher. So a seven and eight and nine or 10, that's when we're in the psychological red zone. And in the red zone, we don't always think rationally and we don't always act rationally. Our, a different part of our brain is actually processing information. And so we interact with others and the world in a different way. And I always love to hear like the story behind, like before, like you wrote a book, was there a certain event that happened to you or a certain red zone? And you're like, I really need to write this right now. Or what, what kind of happened leading up to it? Yeah. So I work with a lot of clients and, and it was, I wanted to answer the following question. And by the way, for myself too, but also for my clients, why do good people do some not so good things, right? Why do good people do some not so good things? So quick pop quiz. Have you ever done or said something you later regretted? What'd you do? I'm kidding. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. Um, did you ever uh, procrastinate or avoid an important project? Sure. Right. Have you ever had trouble focusing or sleeping because you're so overwhelmed? And if you answered any of yes to any of these, then you were in the psychological red zone. We all have done or said something that we later probably aren't so proud of. So I, I wanted to understand why is that? And I, I would sometimes notice it when I was interacting with my children and I was like, don't say that, Elizabeth, do not say that. But, you know, we, we, we all interact in ways that aren't necessarily optimal. And I, I, I'm, I have a very curious mind and I wanted to figure out why is that? And the reason is, is because we get into this psychological red zone. So to understand what happens in the red zone, we'll contrast it with low levels of distress, what I call the green zone, a zero, one, two, three. Life's, life's pretty good then. When we're in the green zone, we're using our frontal lobe. That structure that differentiates us from other animals, right? It allows us to engage in executive functioning, problem solving, perspective taking. When we're in the green zone, this is where, you know, we're resilient. Yeah, times are tough and I know I can handle it. This is where confidence happens. Yes, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I believe in myself. This is where if someone does something, you're like, eh, just who they are, not a big deal. As we go up on this distress scale, our focus narrows so that when we get into the red zone, a seven and eight a nine or a 10, we're focusing almost exclusively on the negatives and we can't see the whole picture. And there's a part of our brain called the limbic system. It's in charge of fight or flight. And that basically hijacks our rational thinking when we get to a seven and eight a nine or a 10. And so instead of thinking rationally, we're focused on the problem and we tend to feel overwhelmed. That same thing that you're your friend or loved one did it in the green zone. They could do the same thing when you're in the red zone and you have a very different reaction. And again, it's this, it's this fight or flight mechanism and it, it made sense evolutionarily. So if you think of our cave ancestors, if they heard a rustling in the bush and thought, eh, it's nothing, they probably wouldn't live another day, right? Instead, they went into the red zone, fight or flight. I got to get rid of that animal or get away from the animal. Once the animal was gone, back to regular life. The issue is our brains still function like that, but our sources of stress aren't short-term. It's not an animal that's there or not there. It's the pandemic, right? It's relationship issues. It's work. It's trying to figure out our purpose in life. It's financial issues. And so a lot of people are spending a lot of time in that red zone. And again, in the red zone, you don't think or act rationally. In the red zone, I don't think or act rationally. It's the way that our brains are wired. Wow. It's amazing. And I've never thought about it that way, but when I'm in the red zone, it's, it's a mess. It's truly a shit show. 
That's ex- that's like you. It should be the shit show secondarily to being in the red zone. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what happens. Because, because if shit is thrown at us when we're in the green zone, we're like, okay, this sucks. I got, I can handle this. When it gets thrown at us in the red zone, we're like, oh my gosh, I can't handle this, right? And then we may say something, you know, speak in an unkind tone, do a myriad of things that probably aren't going to be so helpful. And like, I'm curious if you are in a relationship with someone who's constantly in the red zone, what would your tips be there? <laughs> run, yeah. run away and run. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I mean, full transparency, my uh, fantasy in this world is that we all have this conversation and this language behind it. So what I would recommend is that if someone's in that relationship, they have them listen to this podcast so that their partner can learn what the red zone is. Because once we understand the red zone and we have that that those words, we don't have to personalize it. It's not you're being a jerk or whatever, you know, whatever word you want to use. It's, oh, I think you're in the red zone right now. I'm in the red zone right now. You know what I mean? And so, and so it takes away the pathology from mental health, right? We're not saying you're depressed or anxious. We're just saying you're in the red zone. And in a relationship, instead of someone personalizing what you say, or maybe saying something in terms of it feels like an attack on that character. If you just point out, oh, I think you're in the red zone right now, or I think we're both in the red zone right now, then that really, I think, again, depathologizes and really humanizes. Yeah, we all get in the red zone sometimes. The goal is to get out and stay out as frequently as possible. So my my hope is that this will be conversations. And I'll say when I'm working with corporations, people are having these conversations now. I, I gave a keynote, I'm a professional speaker. I gave a keynote several months ago. And then a, a week later, I met with the executive team. I love doing group coaching after giving a talk and you know what worked, what didn't work, that kind of thing. And the CFO of this company told me that after learning about the red zone, she now asks everyone, including herself, where they are in the scale from zero to 10. And she said she had a really important meeting with her financial analysts, right? They're going to go over all the numbers and projections for the next year. He was at a nine out of 10. And she said, I knew he would be no good (laughs) in this meeting. So she rescheduled the meeting. She got him a gift certificate to Grubhub. They met the next morning. He was out of the red zone and they had an incredibly productive meeting. So think about the message there's that that company is sending. I care about your mental well-being. You know, we can work with you on this and we can still, not only we can still be productive, we're going to be more productive when we take the steps to help you get out of the red zone. Yeah, that's incredible. I wish every company would have that because that would be so much different. Right? Yeah. And when you're in that red zone, like, what do you do? What do you, do you walk away from the situation? Like, what do you do while you're in that red zone? Yeah. So I, you know, I used to, and you were talking about the the progression of the book. I, I used to, you know, have a whole bunch of things for people to do. Gratitude is a great example, right? We know when we're doing brain scans of people experiencing gratitude, that the activity in the stress center of your brain actually reduces. Um, But I was working with a coaching client who one of her triggers was a particular coworker and it was a trigger for her to go in the red zone. And she's, she's interacting with this guy and she is, she's probably a 10 out of 10. I mean, she's so in the red zone. And she said, and a lot of my clients say that once they work with me, I'm, I'm like in their head, like they could hear my voice and giving them advice. And so she's like, I could hear you telling me to be grateful, but I didn't want to be. And I'm like, that's a great example of red zone thinking, because when I'm in the red zone, I don't want to be grateful either. Right. Because again, we're fight or flight. Your brain basically thinks it is drowning. If you were drowning and trying to grasp 
and gasp for air and someone says be grateful like that's not gonna happen right and so uh with that in mind i created a principle it's called the helm principle h-e-l-m i'm big on acronyms probably so i can remember what i want to say but the helm principle goes like this h stands for halt halt all movement in this region of your body and that would be your mouth when you are in the red zone, a seven and eight and nine or a 10, don't let anything out of your mouth because that's when we say things we later regret. And don't put anything in your mouth because that's when we tend to consume things we later regret, right? E is for exercise. And I'm not talking about going to the gym, doing 90 minutes of yoga. I'm talking about moving your body, going for a walk, right? Jogging up some stairs, jumping on a bed, doing some push-ups, sit-ups, squats. Even just a couple of minutes, what happens in our bodies is our brain releases biochemicals that get us out of the red zone. So that's E. L stands for laughter, right? When we laugh, again, we release those biochemicals. We start to see things in a different light. The other day, my teenager was being a little teenager -y, and I noticed myself creeping up into the red zone. And so I said to her, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed right now. Let me just take a break. I, I, I want to have this conversation and I want to be the best I can be for you. And that's not where I am right now. So I came into this office right here. I hopped on YouTube and watched a couple of SNL skits, right? The laughter got me out of the red zone. Then I could go back and better interact with her. So that's L and then M is music, right? Music has such a powerful impact on our emotions. I'm sure you've heard a song that you haven't heard in, in years, maybe even a decade. And it brings you right back to that time, right? So, so music is very powerful. And I recommend that my, I, my clients, I recommend everyone keep a get out of the red zone playlist so that when you're in the red zone, you don't have to think what song would be good right now. You just hit play. And by the way, if you hit play and dance around, that's two components and that's even better. So this helm principle doesn't change everything, but it gets us into a place where we're out of the red zone. And that's when we can start to problem solve. That's when we can start to start to take some steps to really help the situation and or help ourselves be in a better place. I'm curious, what's something you weren't you weren't expecting to learn from writing this book or having these experiences talking with people that you ended up learning through this process? Mm. I think that, you know, as a psychologist, I, I don't realize what I know. And I, so I think what's been really fun is, is giving people these tools, like instead of saying, you know, the amygdala is hijacking irrational thinking, red zone, right? Air red zone's easy. And so realizing that when you can present things in a really super easy way, I always call them small digestible bites. That's really what people need. It goes back to when I was, you know, in, in school my first week and thinking, why don't we all get this? We don't all need a PhD in psychology, but to get these little bits of information and how we can apply them in our life and how pivotal something so simple as I'm going to, I'm going to take a walk before I have this conversation with you, how that can change everything. So it's, it's really, you know, I have a saying it's not, it's not rocket science, it's rocket fuel, right? No one's going to be like gratitude helps you feel happier, right? No one's going to be like that. But when you apply these concepts in your life, it's absolutely rocket fuel in that you know, rocket fuel takes us from the earth to the moon, when you use these, it can change your life. Mm -hmm. And I was reading your bio and I'm curious to know the story behind this, but I read that you're Shaquille O'Neal's head coach for happiness. Yes. He says, Dr. Lombardo is my head coach for happiness. And truly who has a bigger head or smile than Shaquille O'Neal. So yeah, he's a, he's just a, a great guy. And obviously I, you know, I can't talk about my specific clients, but 
One of the things I love about Shaq is that he just, he so gets it, right? Not only does he have a big smell, but he applies all the principles. So one of the things I talk a lot about is, is sense of purpose. And we all need a sense of purpose in our lives. It's a human need. And if we don't identify what we want it to be, our subconscious will kind of find one. And I'll give an example. I'm sure we all know someone whose purpose in life is to be the biggest victim, right? These are the people who you're like, oh, I could not sleep last night. I'm so tired. And they're like, you couldn't sleep last night. I haven't slept in five years. And you're like, you win. Okay, you win. So we don't want that to be our purpose, but purpose is three elements. If you want to really create a purpose in your life, it's experiences, it's growth and contribution. Experiences, how are you spending your time, right? Are you eight hours on Netflix or are you having a meaningful conversation with a friend? Now, nothing wrong with Netflix but maybe a little less Netflix and a little more meaningful conversation with friends, right? So experiences, growth. There's a saying, if we're not growing, we're dying. We need to keep growing. And that could be, you know, setting meaningful goals for ourselves, stretching ourselves, whether it has to do with, I don't know, maybe it's health and doing a 5K. Maybe it's learning something new. Maybe it's something at work, you know, putting yourself out there for a promotion or a project that you're not really familiar with. So growth is really important. And then contributions, contributing to a cause greater than yourself. Could be formal volunteer work. Could be something as simple as holding the door open for someone. But those three components really bring us greater purpose. And when you think about Shaq and you look at, you know, all that he does, I mean, you know, he went from being an incredible basketball player to, you know, being a, a deputy sheriff and and he, he's always giving back. He embraces this meaningful and purpose-filled life. And it's, um, it's really great to see. Mm. And did he like see you on TV or like how that all kind of come together? It's a, it's a kind of a friend of a friend. A lot of times what happens is some, someone will see me on TV and either they'll reach out to me or, you know, it's their agent and the agent will reach out to me for their, for their client. Yeah. Because here's the thing, a lot of my clients who are celebrities or, you know, household names, there's a, interestingly, I think there's a bit of guilt and sometimes shame in for people who have it all, who are human. And, and we're definitely seeing a shift in this, right? We're seeing more celebrities coming out and saying, I, you know, I'm struggling with anxiety or depression or whatever it is. Um, but even then there's such a backlash of people, I mean, just the, the hateful things, cyberbullying that, that goes on, of, you know, what do you have to be upset about? You have X million dollars, you know, I'm not sure where money and mental health, you know, there's actually no relationship. When we look at young people who come from affluent families, they actually have an increased risk for depression anxiety, eating disorders, and substance abuse than young people who come from families with less significant wealth. So, but anyway, there, there tends to be a lot of guilt and shame for people kind of have it on paper that they should be happy and they should, you know, not be struggling at all. We're all human. And if we don't learn the skills of, and I would tell you, we talked about the skills of emotional resilience and intelligence. Another skill is happiness. Happiness is a skill. And again, when do we have the course on happiness? Now, some colleges are having a course on happiness, right? Harvard and UPenn and a couple of them have uh, positive psychology, but most people don't have that course. And that's, again, what I am. I help people, you know, really optimize their mindset so that they can thrive. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm wondering if you had any like imposter syndrome come up for you. Did you have anything come up for you before you started going on TV, before you started working with these clients? I'm kind of curious if there's anything that came up there. I wrote a book on imposter syndrome. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I went to high school with 47 kids in my class, my grade, and I knew all of them. I was, I would say I was friends with all of them. I would never in a million years stand up in front of that group and speak. I wouldn't even stand up in front of like 10 people. So I had a huge anxiety related to public speaking. But what happened was my husband and I were living in Dallas and we moved from Dallas to Pennsylvania. And here I'm really old, right? And this was way before like Zoom. It was way before therapists work with their clients any way other than right in person. And so I closed my, I had two private practices. I closed them and I moved to Pennsylvania and it was, it was kind of traumatic for my clients, right? I mean, they come to see me for issues like fear of abandonment and then I abandoned them. And so I felt, I felt really badly. And I said to myself, I'm not going to open another practice. Like, it's just, it's too much in case we move again. I don't want to do that. So that's when I wrote my first book called A Happy You, Your Ultimate Prescription for Happiness. And I was writing the book. And while I was writing the book, I learned a little statistic, which is that the average book sells less than 250 copies its first year. And given I was going to have my husband and my mom buy several dozen, I thought I need to get this message out there. I need to, you know, we call it have a platform. I need to get a platform. Again, this was way before social media. So I realized I needed to, or I wanted to get on TV shows and I wanted to speak on stages. The issue was I was still so fearful of ever being in front of a camera or ever being in front of an audience. So I had to do my own work and apply the concepts that I teach my, you know, my clients. And I did. And I also got training, of course, in speaking and in media. And so, and so there was a, you know, there was a lot of mindset changes that had to go into that in order for me to, I mean, now I've, I don't know, I've been on the Today Show probably like 25 times, you know, Good Morning America. I don't know how many times, but it definitely took some mindset training as well as skills training for, for me to get there. Mm. I have a final question for you. So if you were to go back in time and talk to your 20 year old self, what yeah. would you want to tell her? So I wrote a book on perfectionism <laughs> um, and I, and it's called better than perfect. It's the notion that as a perfectionist, I am a recovering perfectionist. I was, it was very all or nothing, perfect or failure, perfect or forget it. I would tell her to be more comfortable in her own skin and just put yourself out there. And especially now with 20 year olds, I mean, you know, it, it was tough enough in my day, but now you've got, you know, the internet and every social media and every, every concept of how you should be and you know, we're shooting all over ourselves. I certainly was. And I see it in my clients even more so now in their twenties. And so just giving yourself a break, embracing who you are, enjoying, enjoying who you are and, and, and not worrying about being perfect or not, but really being purpose driven to help you move forward. I mean, when people say, how do you do a today show when there are, I don't know, 8 million people watching you, how do I get on stage and speak in front of 10,000? I'm not thinking about me when I'm on stage. I'm thinking about the message that I'm sharing with them because I know that if they really hear it, it will transform their lives. So changing that focus from I have to be perfect to how can I serve others? How can I support others? How can I live a purpose-driven life? For me, that has completely shifted my life. And I wish I had known that when I was in my 20s. Mm, that's huge. That's awesome. I love that. And where can we find you? Where can we connect with you? Yeah. So elizabethlombardo.com. That's my name. Um, so you can go to my website. I'm on Instagram. Um, we're starting TikTok this summer. So 
keep an eye out for that. <laughs> not sure what that's going to be like, but I could probably use some of you all watching this for help. So if you have any ideas, you just let me know. But elizabethlombardo.com is the easiest place to start. Thank you guys so much for listening. I love if you can leave me a review on iTunes. Please feel free to share it with any friends you think the story would resonate with. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.